This episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 13th of February 2023 at home in Wicklow and it is an interview with Kiara Clear, musician, singer, songwriter, music therapist and also my wife. <laughs> and it's quite a it's quite a long interview. Um, and we visit Kiara's sort of lifetime relationship with music and her evolution as a music therapist in more recent years. Um, and, and we take it real, real gentle. <laughs> um, and we get quite a lot, quite a lot in there. And she has, she has, uh, promised that she will return to perhaps revisit some more specific aspects of music therapy um so it was interesting it was it was an inter- interesting experiment for us it's not like we're practiced in the art of interviewing each other um Karen and I have been together for quite a decent amount of time we'll be celebrating 20 years of marriage this year and we were both quite, you'll hear it, you'll hear it as the interview starts. We're both a little bit tentative and a little bit nervous. And when I had been planning this interview and I, you know, it's funny, this is, I think, episode 91. And I thought this was going to be the the 50th episode <laughs> interview. Um, and that's not how it worked out for various reasons. And the various times it's popped in my head that I do this interview, I thought, cool i'm gonna have a bit of fun with this we're gonna have a laugh we'll have a bit of banter and it's not really how it worked out because i could tell that Kiara was a little bit apprehensive and she probably had an instinct that i might constantly be subverting and sabotaging um and also i think one of it's one of her first times to represent herself as a music therapist i think she was feeling a bit a little bit nervous about that and and also Kiara's just very naturally humble um to a fault I would argue so not and it's it's a funny thing because you know performers you know we you know find generally can find it easy to access a performance confidence um and but you know but we all have our areas of discomfort and yeah, I you know th- this was probably a bit of an area of discomfort for Kiara. So instinctively, we were just kind of sounding each other out and going quite gently. But I think it'll be I think you know apart from anything else, it'll be an interesting listen to go. Okay, this is this is this team, this husband and wife team who've known each other for a long time, been together for a long time, and you can hear us being really respectful. <laughs> <laughs> of each other um so on that front alone I, th- I thought this is quite interesting but Kiara did represent herself very well and has lots of interesting things to say about her journey through music and particularly some great things great and interesting and educational informative uh, and enlightening things to say about music therapy so yes that's what's coming up and I really do hope you get something out of it so uh yeah i'll see you there around the corner for my interview with kiara clear 
Cheers. Hi, my name is Dara Clear and you're listening to The Clear Out. You're very welcome. How are you today? How are you in this moment? How's the journey been to this point in time? Are you feeling are you feeling good about the journey? Are you feeling good about where you've arrived right now? Are you glad to be at your current destination? Is it a destination? Or is it just a stopping point along the way, along the way of life? Um, okay, so listen, do you know what? I'm not going to muck around. Um, it's quite a long episode today. And very shortly, you're about to hear an interview between me and my wife, Kiara Clear. And she talks in the interview at my prompting about her long relationship with music um, as a student of music, as a professional musician, as a session singer, a songwriter, a member of bands, a gigging musician uh, and ultimately a musician, a person who decided that she wanted to retrain as a music therapist, which she did in her native Australia. Um, 10 years ago in fact is when she began that training so yeah so that's um that's kind of what we what we get into and and by the way if you are a regular listener to the uh, the podcast a regular listener to the tell you might have noticed i didn't play in the normal uh intro music that was actually from one of Kiara's songs called watching you um and i'm going to i'm going to play out with another one of her songs which i'll tell you about later but during the interview i asked Kiara when we were when we were talking about songwriting i asked her if she thought she'd got close to um a high point in her songwriting uh, at any point in her career and she did say uh, that she felt she had with two or three different songs but again being her humble self she didn't name them and I didn't I didn't force her to <laughs> but uh, I talked to her about it afterwards and uh, watching you which was the the track that was playing um after the intro uh, that was one of them and I'm going to play out today with the the full track of one of her other songs that she felt feels pretty happy with so yes um so that's it. Look, I'm just going to let you get straight into it. I know I already um, framed this 
interview and its its context and its kind of relational context uh, in the intro. So I won't bother repeat that. Um, and I'll do a bit of a wrap up uh, after the interview as well. But for now, without further ado, here is adieu, adieu, without further ado, here is the interview between me and Kiara Clear. I hope you enjoy. Cheers. So, you're welcome here today. Now, I'm going to start with what I ask everyone in the uh, the many interviews I've done for the podcast. I think this is number five. Um, how was your journey over here today? Uh, it was grand. A couple of doorways and, <laughs> and I was here, so, yeah. Okay, that's good. Not much diesel was used. Excellent. The carbon footprint for this interview is extremely, extremely small which will be good news for all those eco-friendly listeners. Um, so this is going to be a little bit strange for both of us. We're going to have to, I'm going to play this game where I, you know, where I pretend I don't know what I do know about you so I can ask appropriate questions. And I want you to, to you know, not be distracted by, you know, all those lovely feelings you have for me and just treat me like just some random interviewer who's going to uh, <laughs> help this get along. Anyway, what we're here to talk about today really um, is, well, I think we'll start with this one. Music. Talk to me for a moment about the the significance of music in your life? Oh, I know we've got a lot of time, but not <laughs> that much time. <laughs> um, well, I suppose it must be of great significance because it's been going on a long time, this focus that I have focus fixation that I have about music um, and how meaningful it must be and is to me um, I suppose if I think about my early memories is just the the action and reaction that music has for me and, and, and the way I interacted with the people around me, especially my, you know, my immediate family and my, especially my younger sibling, Sarah, who was my, you know, first musical partner, I suppose. <laughs> um, we, you know, like any young child that's fascinated by something we were were into the you know the compilations the best ofs the artists of the time of which you know ABBA was in its truest moment of of their career sure sure and my older sister would have had a couple of their albums already on vinyl so we would have been hearing that from her, we would have been hearing Kate Bush, 
And then we also would have been hearing my parents' vinyl collection, which they used to get in the post, I think. Okay. What did they like to listen to? Um, Bert Bacharach. Ah, poor old Bert. Poor old Bert. Um, Bert Bacharach, Cleo Lane, I remember. She had very big hair, didn't she? She did. Abba. Barbara Streisand. Um, and then they'd have all this kind of switched on Moog and Mood and oh, I can't remember the names of those. Oh Lord, that sounds horrendous. No, it was just like like <laughs> piano versions of the hits type of thing. There was a, a record label over here um, called KTEL. And for some reason I associate them with that kind of thing that you just described. And I feel in our house we had a couple of cassettes of yeah instrumental pieces from the movies and things. Um, yeah. But, it's yeah. It's that kind of thing, yeah. Right, exactly. okay, yeah. Um, go back to Cleo Lane for a second. Tell me, give, give me one or two of her songs. Can you remember? Did she have, oh, God. Did she have a big, did she have a few big hits? I, I can't remember her hits, but... Why do I? She had albums. She was this girl crossover kind of. She had a very low voice, and she was just doing like you know, standards, kind of crossover between jazz standards and mainstream music. Like she probably covered Burt Bacharach songs. And for some reason, and this might be ridiculous. In fact, very likely is. I make this connection between Cleo Lane and Leo Sayer like they were secret siblings but they just had huge hair both of them is that it? Yeah I doubt there was any link between their talent What, what was his thing? What did he do? Did he? Leo Sayer <laughs> Leo Sayer Oh yeah What did he have? Oh, he, he had big hair wide flared pants Nice and um Oh, God, you put me on the spot now. I can see him. He yeah, I can see him as well. charming and chirpy. Did he play the piano, did he? I think so. I can't think of his songs, though. Might have to. Might have Although to I do get him confused with the other <laughs> cheesy guy. This is like... I can't remember any of them. Who do you, who do you get him confused with? Who are you thinking of? Your man. I can't smile without you. Who's that? You're talking to the wrong guy. I can't smile with no. you. No, he's saying to all the women and uh, big hair as well. Oh, piano Lord. player. <laughs> Barry Manilow. Yes, thank you. Oh wow. Okay, I got yeah. that one right. So Amazing. Barry Manilow would have been in the vinyl collection as well. But then my parents had really cool stuff like Duke Ellington and oh nice Joan Baez and um, I remember when. Um, Neil Diamond's Hot August Night album came out he was looking like he was trying to be not that I knew it then but he was certainly in his image he was trying to look like Elvis because he had the right. the leather onesies on oh yeah okay nice nice um, Love on the Rocks that's Neil isn't it yes yeah yeah and it's funny though, isn't it? Because I, I guess if you're someone of our generation, so let's say someone who's uh, a child in the 70s, growing up in the 80s into the 90s, I mean, that was a very rich time for pop music, 
maybe a lot of pop music with strong you know jazz and soul influences Um, because even though we're laughing at some of those people we mentioned it there was some real quality music being written and performed um do you obviously you mentioned abba um and your sister sarah you and her grooving to them do you have a sense of earliest musical memories or something that you found captivating or something that you returned to that might have even preceded those memories of ABBA? Not really. Only only in images. Like, like I just remember an image of seeing probably before that of my mother and her brother um, playing an image of them playing at a wedding where she was singing and I can't remember what if he what instrument he played but anyway there's an image of her in front of an old style microphone at a, an Italian wedding singing and apparently they used to do that quite a bit your mother yeah I had no idea yeah I had no idea they used to do weddings together Italian weddings your Mother and her my brother. Mother, my only mother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your mother and her brother. Yeah. Leon. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. That's cool. Yeah. I suppose they and probably maybe singing a sort of a jazz standard repertoire kind oh, of thing. Or I'd say it'd be more Italian kind of songs. Far out. Mm. Um, but probably like the repertoire of the time. Like if you're singing yeah. at a wedding, like yeah. you would today, you. You know the popular songs of the time. You would be unless you were doing a very specific concept or, you know. Yeah. Whatever. And of course, your mother and her brother would there uh, would have been half Italian. Yes. Yeah. Hence the Italian reference. Yes. Yeah. Right. I mean, for me, I think um, for some reason, Michael Jackson is one of the first artists that I kind of connected with as a kid. Probably Thriller, that album, which oh, yeah. I guess was 81, yeah. 82. So I would have been seven or eight. Yeah. Um, and there would have been other music around. I mean, my parents listened to sort of rock and roll from the 50s and then also rock and roll from the 70s. Um, so, you know, Chuck Berry, but also the Rolling Stones. Um, they never seemed to buy music. But they're, you know, they, they, yeah, they had a, they had a, a bit of a collection. Um, anyway, so when you used the word fixation there earlier, mm-hmm. um, when did you sort of like, 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 when do you feel you had a bit of a, a musical awakening or a sense that this is something that? That, that that you you can't live without, and not only that you can't live without, because many you know I think many people would feel that about music, but you ha- you were drawn to performance, you were drawn to singing and kind of song interpretation, I suppose. Um, so, when do you think that sort of awareness became something that you know you you, you felt are were very yeah that you were very aware of? Well, early, my earliest kind of, you know, once I was in 
primary school, there was lots of opportunity to kind of do music activities. And that kind of came in the form of, you know, singing. Like the, most teachers would have done, we didn't have a specific music teacher in primary. Every teacher was kind of, you know, including music in their, in their lessons, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so there was all, there was these amazing books that I'm still using today, actually. They're as old as me, the, the, the sing music books that held these great songs and pictures to go with them. And that would have been what we would have been singing together in class, which was great always great I just remember great fun and great relief from you know the certain other things especially later primary that was getting you know challenging yeah and then my memory of trying to play guitar um, going to a group lesson with one of the teachers a male teacher I think it was after school and I think after the first lesson he said to me you'll never play guitar because your hands are so small Nice. And, uh, you know, they are small. You know, my siblings have, you know, taken great uh, pleasure in in laughing at my hands and poking at them <laughs> over the years. I've, I've never had any issue with your hands. I think they're um, not a nice size. <laughs> but that's just a ridiculous idea anyway. So, um, you know, I it's... It can help if you have got longer fingers in terms of, you know, that early stage of that skill of, you know, learning which can be difficult shapes and difficult positions on the guitar. But but, but that 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 what your mind, what that teacher said to you put you off. Oh yeah, yeah yeah. Oh, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. So and then I remember the school must have got funding for to start an orchestra, and so they went and bought a load of instruments suitable for a school band yeah and then the word was put out and i remember thinking at the time, i want to play saxophone that was mm. the instrument i wanted to play but of course everyone wanted to play saxophone so by the time i got there all the saxophones were gone and in fact the only reason why i ended up playing flute and learning flute for many years was because that was the last instrument left that wasn't uh French horn or a tuba or something like that. that so what, what, what's, what's the attraction to brass, do you think? My attraction to no, brass? No, like in general. Like if, if people are going, to hell with the, 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 the flute, let's go for, as you say, French horn, tuba, all oh, the rest. Oh, well, it's a bit of a, you know, I don't know. They were the, yeah, no, they were the last ones left. So oh, the attraction is not there. Oh, I see. Sorry, okay. Yeah, so the saxophones so have gone. way up there, okay, yeah. 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 And what you're left with is yeah. <laughs> French The ones mouth. that, you know, I remember being, we were all warned at the time, don't forget, you have to carry these around and oh, you yeah. have to take them home and you have to bring them back and all that. So you'd have to be a strong child to select the tuba, for example. That's right, yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, it probably was a wise move to have an instrument that, you know, collapses into three pieces and put, being put, gets put into a case and then you That's right. carry it like it's a... Like, it's like the lightsaber of uh, the musical instrument it world. It is, yeah. Um, yeah. So flute then ended up being your first instrument. Yeah, like in terms of the formal learning yeah. of an instrument, like I was always singing and I, I, I definitely had a gift with singing and, and my ear was my, you know... The, 
the thing that I really lent on and, and have probably taken for granted all my music life, really. Mm. Um, and, like, I tried to have piano lessons for a while, but and we had a piano at home, but once I realised I could work songs out without being taught how to work them out mm-hmm. by leaning on my ear... Yeah. I kind of got bored with the idea of lessons because I <laughs> thought this will fast track me. Let me ask like an idiot question because I'm an, obviously I'm not a musician, but can the opposite be true where a musician might not have an ear, but they can read music and play music well? Of course. Yeah, you can be trained, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, you can have... Re- spend years refining that and why wouldn't you become mm. good at it if you're dedicated and you sit down to it and you've had expert teachers and um you know the opportunity to if you can you know read music and sight read uh and have taught been taught to do that you can read play and play your instrument the combination too means it's like reading a book you can read and play anything it's it's, but it's it's interesting to me the idea that someone might do that very well but still not have a natural ear but still be able to produce something that others can appreciate oh yeah for sure like a good example of that is i remember many years ago in a um in a music therapy setting with a classically trained um, musician and she was also a qualified music therapist of which I wasn't at the time Um, I was working as a music instructor with this um, company and we were recording to record a Christmas album to fundraise and I just said yeah you know we're all volunteering our time I said oh yeah get me in on anything I don't mind I'll sing this or whatever um and she was there and she was playing um written parts um but then she was asked by the engineer could you just kind of play a little flurry of something like improvise just over these eight bars or whatever and she just she just said she was very honest and very straight she's just she knew herself she knew her her what she couldn't could not do and she said I actually can't you'd have to write it out for me hmm. I don't really know what you mean mm. you know and that's interesting as well isn't yeah. it like she understood the direction oh yeah no I, but I get she it didn't get how she would interpret that with her instrument that, well, that, that's a letting go isn't it it's a letting go of the structure and the security of yeah the sheet music well that's or, her training there yeah you know really standing no, it's, I yeah. think it's interesting though. Like the, the, it would seem to me that the to to stick on this idea of having an ear, like that relationship between having an ear and which is not the same as being able to hear, of course, but in a musical sense, that to have that ear, so you can actually hear what you're playing, and I guess intuitively um, feel, yeah, this is right. That's the right emphasis or the right sort of expression and and that's when I guess that's I mean again speaking as a non-musician but to me it seems that's when a musical instrument when, when there's sort of takeoff when the player and the instrument can 
you know, there's an alchemy that happens yeah. that elevates things. Yeah. Um, I think, though, if you've got the ability to just be able to, you know, collaborate at an instrument in your own kind of space, mm. you know, you are collaborating with an instrument, if you're a, especially if you're a singer and you're interested in instruments, which I always was. Um, but, you know, in terms of it being a social connector, it's a, a great skill to have, you know. To yeah, go on, explain that idea a bit more, social connector. Well, what I know now, which I wouldn't have known then, is that a band is a kind of the, the blueprint for... Being in a band is like a blueprint for, for meaningful social... Um, transactions and um, a way of communicating and a way of um, allowing you the opportunity to connect with people through the making of music. Mm. And there's obviously um, a collaborative aspect to any band. I mean, there has to be because it's coming together to produce a shared objective, which is to play the song or to... Yeah, or yeah. to write. Yeah. yeah. Or to reproduce something yeah. for the sake of, you know, a um, directive that you've been given on, on, mm. on something. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, if people are really into music and are really into their instrument and just love, especially the live sound, yeah, you get that that combination in a room and there is a real purpose for, for why you're there and, and um, you know, and you know that you might be there for regularly for weeks on end putting something together and um, that sense of purpose, I suppose, is what really drove me to kind of get better at what I do and, and why I do it, you know. And the the sense of purpose would have been to um, hone your craft, to improve, improve as a player, improve as a singer. Um, but then to go back to that idea of the social connection part of it, I mean, that's a social connection within the group, within whoever you're playing with, but also a social connection with whoever's listening. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's a it's a ripple effect with what what you're doing, and there's implicit and explicit experience going on around you. You know, mm. and um, that's that's why you do it. I don't know where you find it. You know, you find it in the sensory experience when you engage with art, I suppose, or either as a group witnessing some incredible artwork in front of you. Mm. Um, but I suppose it's the, the, the functioning of, of music and the, the action of what you're doing. You know, it seems, I don't know, it's more, it's very um, visceral, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. Sure, sure. Um, 
mean, this is, yeah, I, mean, I, I could kind of stay on this thread for a while, but let's just go back to sort of your evolution as a, as a musician and, and maybe more specifically as a singer, because you had, I mean, obviously as you moved through your, I guess your teens, your adolescence into early adulthood, you were singing more and more, becoming more confident as a singer. Um, and you, after you left school, you went one direction, but then changed direction in terms of your education choices. So I'm talking about when you finished um, secondary school, yeah. you went off to pursue nursing briefly, didn't you? I did. Um, yeah, like I had, I kind of had a couple of detours before that. I, like at school, all through school, I was really into sport. Right. And I thought that's where I was going. Um, what, 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 was your, what was your chosen sport or well, sports? It was, you know, running, sprinting, running, and like the athletic kind of side of, of, of that. Yeah. Um, and then there was also um, hockey and basketball, particularly hockey. Mm. Um, so right up until kind of, well, the equivalent here in Ireland to junior cert, I was playing you know, proper competition hockey. And then I really thought, you know, this is where I could go because I was told I was good enough and I enjoyed it enough. Mm. And I was always doing music right through that as well. Um, But I think I got to a point where I thought, if I am going to continue a career of any kind, I'm going to have to finish school mm-hmm. um, and sport is taking up a lot of time mm. and basically I hadn't met any sporty musicians ever <laughs> um, so it was either one way or the other and the coolest way was the music way yeah although in Australia I was. I probably should have gone the sporty way, and probably would have been a lot more better off or well off than I am now. Um, yeah. So anyway, nineteen eighty eight, I graduated from school, and I, I, you know, I'd done really well in music and and scored top mark in my area in New South Wales and blah blah blah, all that. Um, and had a, f- had a very influential music teacher at school. Um, and, but at the same time, there was a bit of pressure to try and do something that, you know, was a bit more practical. Yeah. And I had a lot of nurses in my family, still had a lot of nurses in my family, and uh, that was the... That seemed like the right thing to do, and it meant I could get out of home. I really was keen to get out of Lismore, Far North Coast, New South Wales at the time, because I was 
bored shitless with the place. <laughs> okay, and I so... I had no idea why anyone would want to yeah. stay around having been there. So, then. nursing was your ticket. Um, we'll, we'll come back to that in a second. Just tell me, just give me a second. Go back to this influential music teacher. In what way were they influential? Paint a picture for me. Uh, she was a she. Yep. That was important, looking back. Um, she was eccentric, intelligent, and super musical. She was basically looking, with all with hindsight, I can see she was incredibly inclusive in the way that she taught. Um, she, I remember she sounded quite posh, but she wasn't posh at all. She was very grounded. Um, and she loved all kinds of music. And I think just the environment of, of our graduating music class, we were very small. Mm-hmm. And we were probably, you know, the odd bods around the school. Um, and she... Yeah, we had a great time. Any time we went into that classroom, it was always a great time. It was we always were learning. We were never kind of turned off. The dial was always on. Well, that was my memory of it as well. I had, you know, I just wanted to do well and do very well in that classroom. So there was no issues with, you know, getting bored. Never bored. Yeah. And I just remember she, um, yeah, she was really up for everyone just getting through our final year of school and doing world music and then getting out there and finding our way. Yeah. And she kind of gave you the permission to express yourselves musically. Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah. And Um, and she was a civilian. She wasn't a nun or anything like that, was she? God, no, thank God, no. Yeah. No, she wasn't. Far from it. Um, so quite, quite an inspiring figure to you. Yeah, definitely. And what, um, what, what was her own musical um, area? Like, was well, she, she, was, she would have been classically trained. Some um, sort of a pianist? And, or, yeah, yeah, yes, she was a great pianist and she sang. Like I remember my memories of her were introducing me to Billie Holiday's God Bless the Child mm. to sing and she'd play it on the piano in the classroom. Um, and I I want to stop you on that for a second this just occurred to me sorry to interrupt you what do you think of you would have been what 17, 18 yeah singing 17 actually I didn't turn 18 until after I left school okay same as me there's two things we have in common three one we're human beings (laughs) two I was also a runner and three I was also 17 when I left school finished high school secondary school um, what what do you think of a 17 year old singing God bless the child in well, terms of it's quite ridiculous really yeah um, I think a 17 year old white <laughs> Australian <laughs> Australian middle Girl. class <laughs> singing any Billy Holiday was absolutely wrong but there's the, no relationship whatsoever to the 
to the voice of Billie Holiday. But that was amazing. Her true voice. Yeah, those amazing black female, American black female singers, soul jazz, they were significant uh, influences on your musical leaning as you, as you kind of went on. Oh, they were, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I didn't want to sound like what I sounded like. And, you know, I wanted, I wished many, many years, I wished I woke up and, you know, looked like and sounded like one of them. But like, like Aretha or Billy, yeah. Ella. Yeah, any of them. You yeah. Know, I just wanted to cultivate that sound, and I, and I did, you know. Yeah. But I also had, you know, from there for years afterwards, I had musicians around me of most incredible caliber who could play that music too so Mm. you know um i wasn't really playing an instrument properly in back in those early days i was really just very singing focused Mm. um so I had, you know, when I when I did do my short stint in nursing and got out of that and went to study music. Um, that must have been a big moment, though, when you went, nursing is not for me, I need to go back to music. Uh, it was a big moment. My parents were horrified. But in fairness to them, they, you know, they went with it and they let me move back home and go and study, you know. And it was a very strong music department where you went to college, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Very important group of educators who had made the move from their base, which would have been Sydney for most of their careers, although most, quite a few of them had international careers as well, So, um, which continued in the time that they were also teaching. Um, so, yeah, so I was very influenced by, by them and, and, you know, the bar was seriously raised and there were other great learners around me who were studying as well and, um, you had to, you know, really put your whole self into it, otherwise Mm. you would have just got loss because there's a lot of great great you know skillful musical people around you you know yeah um and i'd be i'd be lying if i said it wasn't a competitive environment it was um i think any music school is really i was going to say maybe any arts school yeah i mean i would have felt that in acting school as well like you're constantly comparing yourself against your peers and yeah, definitely. looking to see who's making you know better noises than others and yeah who seems to be kind of hitting certain certain marks I suppose I mean I, I don't mean a score but I mean in the evolution of the artist you have a sense of oh wow that was a bit better than anything we've seen so far mm. and I think people are aware that this is a key moment of evolution um, as a young artist and mm. you're very aware that this is the beginning of something serious that could lead to a life of this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, most people were, that was their plan. They weren't studying business or hospitality or... Nursing. Nursing. Yeah. (laughs) You know, 
Um, they weren't thinking about, you know, what they were going to earn per annum yeah. once they got out, once they finished. Yeah, it's um, not... Well, it if you were thinking like that before you start, before you start studying music, I think you're a bit deluded. Yeah, maybe you're coming to it from a, the, the, the wrong starting point. Um, but you did then get an opportunity out of university because of a, a competition that you... Wasn't it a competition that you, you were asked to sing on someone else's composition? Was that correct? Yeah, it was. It was, a, it was a, basically a um, funding was put up through the school, the department, the music department, um, and was also sponsored by a publishing company called Warner Chapel. Um, and it was for... I was doing a voice major, so I wasn't involved with it directly, only indirectly. It was for people doing composition as a major. Mm. Um, but I was asked by one of the guys doing composition, would I sing the piece that he wrote um, on the day? Um, so he got through. I, thought, I can't even recall how many now got through, but he his composition had got through and they needed to be, be performed live for this panel, um, including... Warner Chapel people that had come up from Sydney and whatnot. So, and I can't remember the name of the song now or anything. All I remember it was a very country feel to it, and it did have classic um, lyrics about you know. My dog left me. My dog whatever. left me, and I'm drinking too much, and yeah. you know that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember at the time the guy who wrote it was very specific about certain parts, how they had to be sung and whatnot. So my input on it, my personal kind of preferences for certain lines or whatever, just he wasn't going. He wasn't entertaining them. No, so it was very much just, a, you know, holding the song for him. Yeah. And that was it. Um, Probably a good exercise in discipline, though, I suppose. Well, yeah, it was, and I was quite used to that at the time because, you know, a lot of the exams were based... It was was a unique course because it was contemporary music, Um, so there was a lot of performance-based examinations. Mm. Um, So we were all used to, you know, doing that for our own marks and for helping others out as well. So I was used to taking that kind of direction. Um, Anyway, my memory is that he won it. He won it based on that composition. But I got this um, follow-up from the Warner Chapel people at the time for um, my my singing part of it, and was approached afterwards, um, and as a result, I ended up going to Nashville. Um, I think it was probably the following year. So I was only, um, I was quite 21. Um, 19, I think, actually. 
Anyway, it was very controversial at the time because it was like, you know, so many others there that would have probably been far more suitable for a trip to Nashville at the time based on their skills as writers because I wasn't exactly right. writing. In fact, you know, songwriting back then wasn't what I was aiming for. Yeah. Um, and would they have had to be written in the sort of the country mode, country music mode, because it was Nashville. I mean, I know Nashville's not just that, but mm. maybe it may have, was was it more so then? Um, well, yeah, it was, but at the same time back then, once I did get to Nashville, I realised it was a much more diverse um, musical place than, than you would think it would be. Mm. Um, in terms of genres and styles and, you know, you know, it, it, it did have that very country, um, straight-up, twangy, you know, Tim Pan Alley-style writing going on mm. for artists and, you know, we're talking early 90s. So, yep. Um, and, you know, the, the, the One Chapel... Uh, CEO at the time was, you know, quoting, you're going to be the next Patsy Cline and that kind of thing at the time. And I was, I do remember saying to him quite directly at the time when I had my first conversation with him, well, no thanks. Nice. Um, I'm not because I'm interested in Aretha Franklin and all those soul singers, so this is not what I'm really about. But, you know, it probably took a year before signing the deal with them. And, you know, I got different advice at the time, including legal advice about entering a contract like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was, you know, wrote, wrote some good songs, wrote some poorly songs, but, you know, it wasn't really the right thing. For you at that yeah, time. No, I was too yeah. young and, um, you know, it was very, very male-dominated industry at the time and I'd say it's changed quite a bit. But, um, it just wasn't your sweet spot, was it? That, no, that, no, that music no, I, I could have I sung, you know sung till the cows come home anything they want me to sing and yeah. you know even to this day I still say I can sing the phone book yeah doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be um, that interesting but yeah. um, it was good I kind of rode the wave of that for a while but then I just had to go off and do my own thing yeah yeah and so really then as a as a singer you you kind of cut your professional teeth in in Sydney, yeah. As a like a session singer and doing gigs and being part of different bands, is that right? Yeah, I was like I did really well. I earned great money doing sessions for jingles and recording projects and playing live. And you know, I didn't. I was always kind of just drilling away at trying to find that sound for myself and that's when I started picking up instruments like the guitar and the piano and thinking you know if I remain dependent on other musicians all the time I'm never really going to forge forward because yeah 
Um, and also the credibility factor to, you know, even to this day, female singers are, they don't stand as strongly as they should in the music community. Or they're not allowed to stand as strong as they should be. No, not really. No, you know, I'm talking about in my, at my level. I'm not talking about, you know, the level that artists that I would look up to or I would be interested in or would respect, you know. I think mm. female artists are in a lot better place nowadays than they were in the 90s. Sure. Um, you only have to go and, you know, tune into some of the good biographies uh, out there at the moment. Um, to hear their stories of what it was like yeah, at that really upper level of industry, music industry, to know how hard it was. And just that kind of the sexism that they were facing oh, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, an assumption that they could be steered, controlled and... Yeah, and moulded into what, you know, the Clive Davises and the, you know, those big, big names at the time. Yeah. These super producers. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, as you say, that then your instinct was, I need to improve my my musical skills, like not singing, but playing skills, and start writing your own material mm. and see where that path would lead. Mm. And it led to Ireland, ultimately. Uh, yeah, it did. Like, yeah, because I thought I'd had it. I'd kind of thought about the idea of packing up and living in the states, but I just felt that was just. I didn't really want to live in America, to be honest. Um, it was a very exciting place, but the thought of being there, um, to live, was just too overwhelming. And I and I always found. Europe to be a much more interesting kind of, um, you know, as a as a as a, as a traveling person or the desire to travel, I found Europe was far more um, engaging um, for me. Yeah, um, it's my impression, um, and from living in Australia, obviously as well, it's my impression that a lot of Australians feel that draw to Europe often because of their heritage and well their, the heritage you know, yeah like I have my you know my my Italian heritage but also I suppose I was very influenced by um, that in the 90s the acid jazz and that the kind of that new soul sound mm. a lot of it was coming out of the UK and um, and just seeing how you know, jazz had its real home in Europe as well in terms of its following and the artists that could tour there. Mm. And not that I was trying to be a jazz artist. I knew I would never kind of step into that. But, I, you know, I, I loved it and regarded it highly. Um, but, yeah, the idea of London being a possible base or, and then, you know, the festival kind of circuit and all of that. I decided mm. to start dabbling in and um, uh, busking kind of in Europe 
was something that I did and did made good money out of and did well with and yep. you know met some great people along the way and got involved in other projects other than my own kind of ideas which was very helpful for my playing and singing um, and I suppose ironically that the whole um, session scene that I had been embedded in in Sydney for all that time was so great for becoming a better singer and better musicality and whatnot but um, it didn't help at all to be a songwriter and become for me didn't help at all um, I had to get a step away from that whole scene yeah so I think the idea of just exiting Sure. To, to disappear and find that. Yeah, it's a brave thing to do, no? Yeah, it was, it was brave, I suppose, and a bit mad and a bit... Um, um, yeah, I just wanted to find out if I did have a songwriting identity. Yeah. Um, and going somewhere where I could kind of listen to myself for the first time without all of the, you know, the other influences um because you know it was said back then that you're either one or the other you're either a session singer or you're a songwriter you know yeah you can't be both yeah um so you had to cut loose to yeah to find out can i be that other thing yeah because you could get you know and i did i suppose in a way get a bit pigeonholed into that yeah um but you know, if you're making an income out of it and um, having a good time, then... It's seductive. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. But then there's a probably a sacrifice of credibility on a certain level. Oh, yeah. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think, do you think then in subsequent years, because you moved away, you came over here, you travelled around a bit, but ultimately settled in Ireland um, when you met a very nice young man who's me. Not, not not young anymore um, and Ireland became your home and you kept making music writing songs playing with some great musicians uh, many of whom are still in your life professionally and as, as friends do you think do you think you found your songwriting identity eventually? I don't think I have yet mm. no interesting um I don't know when that time will be. Um, you know, certainly becoming a music therapist has been my focus um, for the last 10 years in yeah. action. But then I was also always percolating that idea of being a music therapist before then. Yeah. Even when I graduated from my music degree at the time it was just like you know there were moments where I think do I go and do this now and then it was like no it's not the right time to do it now um so we'll oh yeah I mean I'm really we're definitely going to spend a bit of time now talking about music therapy in 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 just a moment but just just to stay on the songwriting for just a second before we do that when you think of the songs you have written and some of the songs that you've recorded um, are there one or two or three songs that you feel 
yeah that was pretty close or that's a song I'm happy to stand by more than maybe others that you've written oh there's definitely yeah there is a few I would stand by and others that I wouldn't <laughs> yeah um and then there's some collaborations that I would always kind of think highly of um but, you know, the, the fact that I've managed to record an album, which, and an EP before that, and lots of other demos over the years and whatnot, I always felt like I, you know, something was going to sound great because I felt like I could, you know, find and meet and attract the right kind of musicians that... Mm acknowledged my musicality and and um but didn't necessarily mean it, it, it the my writing was there yet no i'm just interested because i think like you, you mentioned you, you said like for the last 10 years more or less you've been focused on music therapy um and qualifying as a music therapist now practicing as a music therapist and songwriting and performance has been much less of a focus for you now i always think that when it comes to the practice of one's art or one's craft however however you want to put that i think and and, and this is very much my own perspective because i've you know I, i've only i've had very few opportunities to stay with acting in recent years i'm back in a theatrical space at the moment and my sort of pact with myself has been to to sort of remain calm you know over years of not doing the thing I really love to do and go it's okay because just don't turn out that light like I'm talking internally don't turn out that light and you're not you're you know you're going to continue to grow and evolve as a person and if you're if you stay cool with that relationship with yourself by the time you do return to your craft return to you know what might feel like your vocation you're going to bring so much more to the party and so like that's if i go back to what you said like okay 10 years the, the, the main focus has been music therapy and learning that becoming qualified as a music therapist and now going out and you know trying to do it um you know practice it professionally my instinct would be that by the time you come back down to sit down with the guitar or at the piano or whatever instrument um and go you know what i've got some songs in me that i want to get out i i would expect that you'll be bringing something deeper richer you're going to be drawing on a whole other reservoir of experience that you didn't have 10 years ago what, what, what do you think of that as a, a proposition yeah I, I hope so um like there's lots of there's lots of ideas there there's lots of very um snippety recordings of ideas that I would like to find the space 
in the true sense of the space, the headspace, the mm-hmm. music space, to, you know, draw to some conclusion. Um, and I would think, you know, I, like I qualified as a music therapist in 2016, and, you know, three years before that had Maeve. That's, um, uh, that's our daughter that's, for, yeah. the, uh, for the new listener. Yeah, the, that, that one new listener. Is that who you're referring <laughs> there'll to? There'll be many, there'll be many. Okay. You're going to be a big draw. I'm very confident about this. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, just, in, just in case you've just joined us, <laughs> just in case you're fast forwarded to 55 minutes in, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm talking to, to, to my wife, Kiara Clear, Nay Brown, um, about her life in music and we we finally we we finally arrived at the main main one of the main purposes of this interview is to allow Kiara the time and space to talk about music therapy and that's where we're at right now so yeah you were saying um you qualified in 2016 but 3 years before that uh Maeve was delivered by the stork yeah that's right thank you stork thank you stork um yeah, so, you know, I've only been, in, in, in the bigger picture, I've only been practising for a very short period of time, really. Um, but I can see, in regards to what you asked me just before about songs and the idea of recording and writing again, I can see how, you know, the process that is needed to do that will be very influenced by the last 10 years, you know. Sure, sure. Um, and it's like life experience as well as your training and yeah, professional well, practice. Yeah, life experience, I think, is very important to becoming or being a good music therapist. Mm. Um, the training is very intense and requires a very... Uh, cerebral approach to getting yourself across the line because it is a master's level of, of uh, learning and training. Yeah. With a, um, you know, clinical hours that have to be achieved as well in, in the mix. Um, yeah, and just, just, just before you continue there, um, can you give me a definition of music therapy because I feel it's a lot of people just aren't familiar with it and don't really understand you know don't know much about it and if I when I mention to people oh you know amongst other things my wife is a music therapist they're like oh so and they have many guesses as to what it might be or where it might be uh, applied so why don't you just kind of lay down the building blocks um, for someone who may never have come across it. Okay, yeah. Um, so people probably have in their mind those two words, music and therapy, and might have some connection to um, how music can be a therapeutic thing in their life. Um uh, but in terms of someone who is a registered music therapist, which I am, which, by the way, 
you can call yourself a music therapist and not be mm. a qualified music therapist. You can still do that here in Ireland. You can still do it in Australia as well. Uh, hopefully that's changing um, in terms of recognition and, and um, statutory recognition, which is what in Ireland the uh, music therapy uh, is striving, well, creative art therapists are striving to achieve. Um, so that would be basically to be as recognised as, say, a speech therapist or occupational therapist. Sure. Um, so uh, music therapy is the planned use of music. It is research-based uh, and it is a way of using music as a tool or a resource to support people as they strive to uh, achieve a better outcome for their health functioning or well-being. So that's okay. kind of the official yeah. stance. Um, the evidence base or the research base behind it is the important factor that can, you know, really... Um, make people aware of the difference, say, to uh, a community musician practising music out in the community or someone coming into, say, a hospital setting and playing um, an instrument or for, you know, an aesthetic purpose or, say, a duo turning up to a nursing home and playing songs. Mm. The idea, which I should have just mentioned before, is the other important factor is which, you know, sets it in its own place, is that it is within a therapeutic relationship mm. with um, the person, the music therapist. So it's like an alliance um, and together you strive to create a better functioning health or outcomes. And it is, depending on which way the music therapist works, um, which is important to say that music therapists can work in very different ways, okay. depending on the context. Yeah. Um, you always have the person you're working with at the centre of what you're trying to achieve and is very goal orientated um, and we have to work according to a code of ethics and conduct mm -hmm. um, and um, music therapists are mastered I have master's training. Yep. So, and sorry, it's, and it wouldn't always be in a one-on-one -on -one situation. Like you could have a, a group yeah, music therapy you session. Yeah, one-on-one -on -one or you can work in a group. You could work with families. Yeah. Um, it's across the lifespan generally. That's what I mean. It's important to say that it is context-driven. Yeah. So, so just, what, what, sorry, what would some of those different contexts or settings be across that lifespan? Uh, like you could work with um, babies in a neonatal setting in a hospital. Okay. Um, early learning 
uh, early development, early childhood development. Um, you may be working in a medical setting, so you could work with in a rehabilitative, clinical, um, surgical settings. So maybe in acute settings like with pain management, mm-hmm. intensive care. Um, you may work in the community, um, in settings for like nursing homes, um, with people with dementia or Parkinson's. Uh, recovery in mental health settings, so yep. acute mental health or community mental health. Yeah. Um, and then right through to end of life care, so palliative care. Um, and wherever there are opportunities for people to live a better quality of life, I'd imagine. Um, a music therapist has a has a job to play. That's yeah. how I see it. Um, sure, and you know there are a lot of good examples there. And also, of course, you could have clients with different uh, disabilities. Oh yes, yeah. sorry, yeah, yeah. Disabilities in the area of adult, child, and adult disability across yeah. the spectrum of disability. Yeah. Um, because like that's something that I was thinking about earlier in anticipation of this, um, and it seems to me just from observing you and your journey, um, and being this kind of um, I was going to say bystander, but not so not quite right. A little bit of a sort of a passenger who's kind of learning, picking up bits and pieces just by listening to you over the last, as you say, the last ten years. But I suppose one of the things that has struck me most profoundly. Um, as a sort of a an elevation of this idea that many of us, many people, you know, I, I would argue, <laughs> you know, a huge majority of everyone in the world has this relationship to music, um, how we listen to it, what it does for us, how it can be, you know, a mood changing thing, whether it's, you know, celebration, whether it's, you know, something we like to listen to by ourselves, whether it's headphones on, headphones off, whether it's about dance, whether it's about study, you know, and so many different places we encounter music or use music um, intentionally. And the I guess the elevated idea is that our brains respond in a very particular way to music. Isn't that right? Yeah, it does. Um, our brains respond in a global way uh, to music that being that music interacts with all parts of the brain, not just the domains of the brain that are related to auditory. Um, obviously, that's where our music, uh, music, hearing music, mm. um, arrives in the brain. Um, but one way to kind of, you know, explain that is that even when parts of the brain are damaged uh, through either stroke or um, brain injury, traumatic brain injury Mm -hmm. uh, or disease, um, music can still be transmitted across the brain even in damaged parts of the brain. Mm. Um, so that's why it is such a useful tool to work with people post-stroke 
um, post head post head injury. Yeah. Um, and and then then areas of like with dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's disease. There is this uh, still people can engage with music and still have enormous capacity to respond and be influenced uh, in their mood and their physical movements um, and in their self-expression and mm. um, the, the possibility for, even if it was momentarily uh, in the cases of you know, people who are with suffering from dementia or Alzheimer's, um, to have uh, moments and extended moments often of um, quality of life domains can be really influenced mm. and affected by it. Yeah, um, yeah. So when I hear you say that, it makes me think of the way music therapy is utilized or the, sorry the way music is utilized within music therapy it's like a it's like an activating agent that bypasses um other ways in or you know more uh expected modes of reception and communication um and music can kind of find a way past, I don't know, maybe being non-verbal or find a way to activate the client and engage parts of them. Like just that example you just gave of someone who has um, dementia and how it might um, enable them to access, I suppose, a part of their dampened down functionality or being or sense of engagement I I don't know if I'm describing that in in a way that makes sense but yeah there's that for sure but it's also the the brain that their brain which has been affected by the dementia in terms of their memory music can access those memories that are still in place, uh, especially in memories from the time of, um, you know, peak times in their in their life. So, you know, maybe when they were in their thirties, forties, fifties. You know, okay, music from that time. If you yeah. were to uh, pick a song uh, and play, you might find someone who has. It has come into the stage of their dementia where they're now not using expressive language very well. Uh, the soul can trigger those memories um, where the brain is lit up and those parts of that um, memory can be expressed in the words of that song. Right, yeah. It's, it's Sorry, just um, when you say that, it makes me think, and I know it's a movie we both really like, Pixar's Coco. Yes. And that, oh man, that unbelievably moving sequence at the end of the movie. That's right. Where the grand, is he the great-grandchild? I think he's the great-grandson. Yeah, the great-grandson yeah. has been forbidden from playing music because yeah. of, you know, the 
the particular plot of the movie and the grandmother's a traumatized relationship with a musician mm. and she's forbidden music um but the the great grandmother who i suppose i mean she do we, is she characterized i mean they don't they wouldn't use the word but do we think of her as having dementia or being kind of shut down she's in a very late stage of her life yeah she is um, I, i'd say there there is that there because she's quite She's quite non-verbal yeah. at this point. But then so. that scene is when the, the great-grandson comes in. He's like, no, I, I've got to play this song for my mm. great-grandmother because I mm. know the story of our history. And it's this extraordinarily moving <laughs> section where she just kind of unfolds mm. and blooms and blossoms for a moment upon hearing this song yeah. that her father used to play for her when she was a little girl. girl yeah, so it triggers those memories that are stored uh, in the brain um, and the emotional parts of the brain. Mm. Um, So that emotional memory that's connected to that that time in that person's life can be uh, stimulated. In a a very vivid way. Yeah, that's right. Um, And they, and and research... uh, around this particular area um, you know can talks to this idea that they may not they may have been nonverbal and still continue to be nonverbal but for a very short window period of time the the brain can be stimulated enough where they can remain quite um, lucid and um, and able to communicate and connect um, and that's why that idea of regular interactions with music can become a very important, important part of someone's quality of life. Yeah. When yeah. so much of um, the brain, you know, they may not, they might be being assisted in so many ways at this point. Yeah. But they can have these great memories uh, can be stimulated with music and have. Um, you know, important moments in the quality of their life, sure, even, even sure. in late stage dementia. Yeah, and I think that well, what what, what I think then is the, the what's unsaid here is that other forms of therapy aren't achieving those effects in the same way, or maybe aren't able to. Like music has a very particular effect in those circumstances. Yeah, it does, and but but even um, even you know, neurotypically healthy brains can also be um, engaged and affected and and um, attuned to music mm. uh, because we process it across all parts of the brain as I said before and um, so many the brain enjoys music because of the stimulation that can happen in uh, in, in auditory processing uh, in fine motor, in, in gross motor, so our movements are, 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 are drawn into our um, reactions to music, and um, and of course, you know, this goes right back to the fact that our very earliest connections to music were in the womb, um, yeah. and our earliest sense of. Um, music were the heartbeat of our mother 
Yeah. Uh, which of course is rhythm in its yes. pure, purest form, hmm. and and the uh, is it the word prosaic? Maybe. Yeah, uh, elements of our mother's voice okay. uh, is melodic. Okay. Um, so you have the rhythm of the heart. You have the the melody of the of the mother's voice. The first sounds of that the the baby is hearing. Um, they are all identified as our earliest experiences of music. Far out. It's like and, your own um, personal soundtrack. Yeah, it is. Um, and of course, that is all happening pre-verbally. So that's why there's mm. this suggestion that music being a non-verbal uh, form of therapy relates back to our pre-verbal time in the womb. It's a very powerful a idea. Communicative musicality, which is, uh, you can you can Google that and you'll <laughs> discover the researchers yeah. uh, who coined that phrase. Repeat um, that phrase for me, please. A, communi- a communi- communicative musicality. Communicative musicality. Yeah. yeah okay. No, I, I find that a really powerful idea, um, as you know, much to your... <laughs> much to your relational fatigue i'm very fond of verbal um as as a mode that's putting it nicely (laughs) and you know i recognize that in myself that it's an over reliance maybe an overcompensation maybe it's a way of of masking areas of 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 insecurity or or self-doubt um and again i was kind of thinking about it earlier going yeah well like what if i went in to a music therapy session and said i'm sick of talking Mm -hmm. i'm sick of trying to understand myself and my problems and my issues and i'm I'm sick of trying to solve things through lang through verbal language um can we just do something musically or with a musical instrument that might help me well, that's, that's what you're talking about there is often can be the reason for referral to music therapy is mm. that all talk therapy has got that person nowhere, mm. you know, or they're not responding to, you know, being, if it is a child um, or someone with, you know, quite severe mental health issues, they may not re- respond to talk therapy because, you know, Gosh, I'm not going to get into that now. But um, so we step into a music space, and that becomes the form for communication, mm. and identifying needs, and identifying um, a process that can achieve, you know, outcomes that talk therapy has not achieved. Yeah, so they can can achieve a therapeutic outcome, Mm. like a beneficial outcome. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think that's, um, yeah. I mean, (laughs) it shuts me up (laughs) when I contemplate that because it actually makes me nervous Mm. because it pushes me away from my comfort with language and words and talking. 
Yeah. Um, I go, oh, what would that look like? Would it be, you know, percussive? Would it be, I don't know. And it's, it's, it, you know, it's a, it's, it's forcing. It would force someone like me to not rely on my brain in the way I normally do, and like how I meet the world and how I try to frame things. Mm. Um, and it takes away one of my strongest weapons. Mm. I suppose that's how I would think about it. Yeah. Okay. But you can understand the opposite then, when yeah. someone finds it hard to meet the world verbally that you know a connection through other ways of communicating become so significant and important um like children with for example i was doing a session recently with children with um severe learning disabilities and uh, sensory needs and physical um, nurturing which is needed in a different way to you know a, a child who is neurotypical mm-hmm. um, they may these two children thinking of were nonverbal even though they could communicate in other ways through sign language and through the use of technology um, but I was not really using my normal language skills uh, with them at all. It was all through what I was offering them musically, you know, mm. be it through an instrument, be it through voice, be offering to you know come and meet me with this instrument. Let's find some ways of dancing, moving, uh, vocalizing rather than singing. Mm. Um, let's you know, all on the floor, let's just get down there and be in the moment with the music, you know. Yeah. And, you know, the connection, that's what, you, that's what you're going for. You're aiming for connection. And that need and craving, particularly children, have to connect. But in the way they want to connect, not the way I want them to connect. And the way that, they want to connect. Sure. And, that, and we meet in the middle with music. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, that just made me think of what you said earlier about how the like music therapy practice is client-centred. Always, yeah. And is that... I don't, I don't know if this is taking us down a path we don't want to go down, but is that sort of a... Um, if you think of like a patriarchal model... Or you know the masculine model of of any form of healthcare. It's like I'm the expert, and mm. bang, do this, do what I say, and you're a sort of a passive recipient of the expertise. Am I? I don't know if this is if I'm wrong to think what you're saying is a more feminine approach. Um, or I, 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 might, yeah. I might not be. Yeah. No. 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 I don't really want to go down that path of discussion now because it's a very new and fresh maybe not new because like there there is an area of research for feminist music therapy mm-hmm. um, which is about equity uh, across gender mm. um, it's a very hot topic at the moment actually well yeah, yeah. it is and there's a, some really new research out by music therapy researchers regarding this and it, it brings in what you've just said about this idea of the expert model this 
patriarchal, colonial um, uh, framework mm. that needs to be questioned and um, and what's the word de debunked maybe in some areas yeah too. sure um, sure and it's it's a it's a um, there's a Australian music therapist Dr Tr- Katrina McFerrin who's recently been writing about this and it's challenging to read because it's kind of like well you know you put me through all this training to be an expert in the field <laughs> yeah and now you're telling me that in practice like in real time practice I'm not talking about as a researcher yeah but you know I'm I see myself as a frontline music therapist. Like mm-hmm. I, you know, I've got a long time yet to be getting my hands dirty in order to understand how I work and how um, those that I work with want to work with me. Mm. Um, but she's, you know, presenting these very challenging ideas that we can no longer be experts because the expert is directly linked to um, oppression and patriarchal um, frameworks, as I said, and, yep. um, yeah. Oh. No, it's an interesting. No, look, it's... Yeah, I, I, if I you talk to it. someone who's better no, able no, to no, talk no. to that idea, not I, at all. Not I'm at still all. in a bit of a shock about her recent writing about she, it. she was one of your tutors was she, she was. In, in melbourne yeah she's yeah. very very um, well regarded no like it's there's it's just so, it's a very you know it's it's it, there's a lot of stuff here um i mean but you know we, sh- we should wrap up soon because <laughs> there's there's dinner to be had dinner to be made um but where where do you kind of see yourself or not, 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 not where do you see yourself but what are your aspirations for your own music therapy practice uh, well I have set up my own um, private practice service um, I have a five year plan mm-hmm. in operation at the moment um COVID has, and the pandemic have, has taken a toll on that process, but it's still a process. Yeah. Um, what, what's the name of your practice? Safe and Sound Music Therapy Services. Safe and Sound Music Therapy Services. Yeah. It's a community-based practice. I'm trying to remain true to that philosophical framework. Um, I've spent time in clinical settings and I do love that work but I feel like the time is now for providing quality services um, that are community based because uh, not just in Ireland and it's quite bad in Ireland but in Australia too um, and across the world mental health services are at you know, on their knees trying to respond to the need. Sure. Um, COVID has absolutely created another 
dimension to that. Um, so I think the challenge is to find, you know, a different model of service provision to people, particularly in mental health, um, piece by piece it could, you know, change, um, but it's going to be very slow work, but in terms of what I can offer, um, I want people to be able to, you know, recognise music therapy as a, a um, professional practice. Yeah. Uh, I want them to know about it. I want them to see it as an allied and allied service to other services they may be engaging with mm -hmm. because music therapists always, um, not always, but often work in allied roles with speech therapists, occupational therapists. Uh, they can... Um, be there in a, a way of, of aligning health, um, better health outcomes for people, you know, as they feel they are waiting for other more um, mainstream services. Okay, yeah. Um, and because music services work in a code of within a code of conduct and ethical conduct um, I just hope that you know at some point in the near future uh, as it can be seen in Australia and America and even close here in the UK and in Northern Ireland um, as a much more significant player in in direct mental health services yeah. You know? Yeah, mental health and, and yeah. you know they they are in in other settings, but I'm just talking about. I can only go with what I'm trying to yeah offer. Yeah. Um, but you are you are offering that. I mean, that's you're you're putting yourself out there, and people can get that information and get a look at your profile uh, yeah, on your can. website. Yeah, my website, but also too at the um, the Irish Irish Association of Creative Art Therapists. Um, um, and if people are interested more in the research behind it, it's there is a lot of research out there now, and um, it's something that you know I'm constantly trying to keep on top of as well. Yeah. Um, well, I'll I'll put some I'll put a couple of links in the in the uh, the notes for this episode. I'll put in a link to your website and. A link to the what is it? The Irish Association of Creative Arts Therapists, the yeah. ICAT. So I'll put those links in there, um, yeah. so people can do their own investigating. Mm. Um, I mean, I think you've made a great choice. I mean, I, I you know, I, I do hope you return to um, songwriting and that side of your your musical life as well. But like, I can say from from the inside um, that that time when you were studying, uh, when you were doing your masters and you'd just become a mother and, you know, there were a lot of challenges. Um, and it was, it was, it was, it was a difficult time, but I used to see you come in from music therapy, uh, from your training, from the course, and particularly when you were coming in from your placements and 
I think those were the times I saw you most lit up and animated and engaged and it just seemed really clear to me that yeah this is like that was all the it was the all the evidence I needed to see that you'd made a really good choice that you were so um fired up um and inspired and energized by by music therapy and the learning of it and getting trained in it and I mm. think um it's clear that that's what you're you're bringing into the practice now as well so um so well done you well thank you <laughs> um so is there anything else you want to is there anything else to, that, that we you feel we have, may have not have touched on oh, in, in so related much. to music therapy yeah so much um um yeah no i, I don't think so i think maybe another episode yeah well no brilliant talk to some other elements of it be great um, you could come back you could travel to the to the, the green room here at hashtag blessed um, <laughs> and share your your findings um yeah. and we could get a bit more specific maybe on certain scenarios or some of your own experiences uh, i know you've worked in palliative care and mm. aged care um and i think you obviously worked with um a lot of neurodiverse clients yes and, and I, you know, I do currently yeah and, and like that's that seems to be an area like people are more and more interested in and more aware of um so that might be something you could speak to as well um on a, on a future episode mm. um so here's a question for you right this is gonna be a random don't panic um what's for dinner <laughs> If I if I was a song, oh god, what song would I be? Um, you know what that answer is. No, I don't. Go on, tell me. You do. I don't at all. Blinded by the light. <laughs> Go on, sing a bit of it. Ah, such an excellent choice. Do you know who wrote that song? The Boss, Big Bruce. Yeah. Um, excellent. Okay, well, listen. Thanks so much. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for. Thanks it for the was visit. It's a long journey, but I got there in the end. No, it's been actually, it's been really nice. Um, I think we were both a bit nervous at the start of this. So it's been, um, I had so many stupid gags that I thought I was going to do. And I just thought, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm very talking. nervous about the stupid <laughs> gags. But listen, we, we should end. We should end with. On a gag. No, we should end with one, one serious question before we wrap this up. Yeah. Um, when did you first realise you were attracted to redheads? Um, well, in a more <laughs> maternal way, my grandmother was a redhead. Oh, there you go. Of there course, go. there you go. Yeah. Well, that's getting a bit Freudian. Let's not. Let's not. Let's not explore that any no. further. Uh, Kiara, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for giving me your time. Can I have a Sam Harris moment? Oh yeah. Yeah. Go on. Finish your. Oh outro. yeah. Oh, you're gonna. <laughs> Say. Uh, so it's been really really lovely and it's great to have you here and to share all your your experience and your evident passion for music and for music therapy and um, this has been very educational 
So, um, yeah, thanks very much. Thanks uh, for I look, having me on the clear out. Yeah, it's been, been my pleasure and hopefully the pleasure of our listeners as well. Okay, well, I'll talk to you very soon. So there you go. That's what uh, that's what Kiara and I sound like when we're we're chiming together. Uh, that was yeah, that was an experience for both of us. And there was, as I said at the very start of the of the show, there was something very respectful, and yet I used the word tentative. Um, it was very intimate, actually. There was something about the that dance that we we went on there that that really was um, a, a, a strange, very calm, gentle kind of intimacy between us, um, like getting to know each other again. I, I found it a bit trippy, um, but anyway, there you go. Uh, I hope you, I hope you enjoyed that. Um, you know, I, I, I think Kiara is really, really nice to listen to. And it's interesting sort of putting myself on the outside a bit and listening to her in that way. Um, so just to just to wrap up quickly, you can find Kiara at www.safeandsoundmusictherapy.com. So that's safe and soundmusictherapy.com so if you go there you can get more information um, about the type of services Kiara offers and a bit more general information about music therapy you may have also heard her refer to the organisation in Ireland um, that represents creative art therapists that's ICAT which is I-A-C-A-T ICAT dot ie so you can find more there about music therapy as well icat dot ie i a c a t dot ie so i'm going to leave it there because this has been pretty lengthy and i'll be back next week uh somehow some way i will squeeze in a recording uh, because we're getting to the pointy end of rehearsals for the the show I've been rehearsing uh, that is Manifest uh, with Broken Talkers and we're going to be performing at the Project Arts Theatre in Temple Bar in Dublin we preview next Thursday um, so a week from the day of the release of this episode so it's going to be the 23rd of February and we're doing a run until the 4th of March so that's Manifest, um, which is a show all about masculinity and the complexity of coming of age as a young man, uh, what men are exposed to, what they have to negotiate and navigate and how the world shapes them, the world in which they grow up in, the environment in which they grow up in shapes them and the the decisions uh, they have to face, the crossroads they come to. And we're giving it a real good go to 
to raise those questions without necessarily having answers, but to to be in service of those questions in a in an honest, um, integral, uh, and authentic way. Uh, I think it's going to be a really good show. I'm, I'm very excited about being involved. It's been really um, exciting and demanding, challenging rehearsal process. Um, yeah, so that's happening though. And as I say, I'm going to have to try and squeeze in another recording of the podcast before that happens. Okay, so that's it. Uh, as always, you can throw me some love on social media. You can rate this podcast wherever you listen to it. Leave a comment, share it, subscribe. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash the clear out or you can use the supporter link which should be there somewhere wherever you're listening to this. And that's it. And I am going to play us out today with another of Kiara's songs which seems very appropriate for how we were talking about music therapy as being something that's going to be beneficial to your life, to your kind of health outcomes, your wellness outcomes. And this is one of my favourite favourites of Kiara's songs and it's called Bent on Being Happy. Enjoy and I will talk to you next week. Cheers. Bye. With all the worst 
staying miserable when the heart does thirst. The heart does thirst. So long to the haters. So long to the past. So long till the heartache stops and you fall down and die.